Welcome back, dear listener, to the life and times of Rorick's Farm. We woke up this morning to minus three degrees, snow all over the hills. And a uh, nice day, though, blue sky, sunshine. But um, yeah, I was out first thing counting, looking for any newborn lambs in my beanie and my scarf and my fingerless mittens and my top coat. So I thought today would be a good day to uh, to do another podcast. Uh, <clears throat> we've had uh, an interesting um, couple of weeks with our geese. We have Sebastopol geese. Uh, the Sebastopol geese are the geese for the, well we call them the bad hair day geese. They're the ones with the very curly um, feathers, very tight curls on the on the breast and very long curly feathers on the on their backs and wings. Um, they're a descendant from the grey legs, so they're a medium-sized goose. Lovely looking bird. Uh, flightless, they're too heavy to, to fly. Uh, but our guests love them, and um, they keep out of trouble and, uh, and adorn our property. However, last season we didn't sell all the, all the babies we had anticipated, and we were left with three. Uh, two of them, from the two different bloodlines, formed a little partnership, and they're quite happily walking around the uh, the paddock together. The other boy, though, <coughs> a gander, is now in his late teenage years and the hormones are starting to come into play. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I uh, noticed that he'd been um, moving in on his brother-in-law's girl, which didn't go too down too well, apparently, because uh, it looks like over a couple of days he got uh, severely chastised by the other gander. So much so that we found him lying, looking pretty sorry for himself, lacking quite a few feathers from his back. So we picked him up and uh, put him in a little enclosure where we could doctor him up and look after him for a couple of weeks to get back to full health, which we duly did. And uh, the day came when it was time to to uh, rejoin the um, the free-ranging crew at Warwick's farm. So uh, I go into the enclosure, and of course he's now fully recovered and fully fit and all of a sudden this hairy two-legger is approaching him in, an con- in confined surroundings and uh, geese are a fight or flight animal but probably more prone to fight than flight and um, you know I went to grab him and he leapt up on me and uh, grabbed hold of a big chunk of flesh just under my breast and his, and his um, beak which also includes rather large teeth. No, I shouldn't say rather large. A lot of teeth. Small and blunt, but enough to grip on with. I managed to extricate myself from his mouth and his wings, uh, which were trying to karate chop me. You do not want to get in the way of a goose's wings. They've got a very, very big bone in them, and they can neither be known to break human arms. So you've got to be careful. Anyway, I managed to grab him, and he went for me again with his, with his beak and grabbed a big mouthful of my jumper. So I held him nice and tight so he couldn't move his head anymore and uh, took him back to his happy hunting grounds. Well, he's been pretty happy this last, uh, last week or so. But, oh, and he's been be behaving himself as well. He had learned his lesson, so he was no longer hassling his sister-in-law, so that was good. Uh, somebody who was interested in buying him uh, many, many months ago but wasn't able to come up from down country. Uh, we contacted her recently to see whether she wanted uh, wanted him and the other couple, because we were thinking with the new season coming up, we're going to have even more little goslings to move on. So um, we we um, 
talked to him to taking all three of them, which was good. And uh, so on Saturday, they came up from down south and picked them up. But of course, that led to another little, um, not so much a drama, but a little uh, endeavour. And that was collecting them all again, putting them and confining them to quarters until the the new owners arrived um, and trying to keep out of trouble in so doing. Fortunately, all went well. Um, there was one attack by the um, by the other gander, but he just managed to once again grab a mouthful of my sweater, which um, I managed to let him suck on until we got him nice and um, nice and confined for the to await the um, the new owners. Anyway, it's been a little adventure with geese over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I'll begin today's reading of uh, chapter fifteen, special friends. It has been a privilege over the years to have spent time with such a variety of creatures that have been real characters and that we have bonded with so well. One of them is Nova, whose story starts even before she was born. The earth crunched under my feet as I made my way across the ice-encrusted paddocks, pulling my beanie tighter over my blue-tipped ears. The first serious frost of the season had dawned on this crisp, sunny but very cold morning in late August. On my return route to our warm cottage, after releasing the ducks and pigeons from their overnight accommodations and having fed the rabbits their morning breakfast of hay, I glanced into the house paddock to see how our heavily pregnant goats were faring on this chilly morning. It was then that I noticed a small bundle of white dreadlocks lying still, next to Rags, one of our Angora does. My worst fears were confirmed on gently lifting the cold yet per- perfectly formed Angora kid, whose eyes, while lifeless, seemed to project a certain serenity as if triumphant that it had at last completed its journey into life, albeit a short and cold one. Rags did not appear to be overly concerned at her loss, but I thought it might be wise to release some of the pressure off her bulging udder, which I gently did, releasing the frothy hot colostrum into an enamel bowl. Three months later, it is early November. The sun is shining warmly and the paddocks are alive with fast-maturing, frolicking lambs and kids. It is with some surprise, therefore, when Elaine appears in the doorway, holding a newborn lamb in her arms, still half encased in its birth sack. A gorgeous Arapara Romney Cross, you lamb, obviously abandoned by its mother minutes after birth. A number of thoughts race through our minds. Surprise at the discovery. Sadness at the abandonment. Horror at the thought that this new creature will perish, as she had not tasted her mother's life-sustaining colostrum. And then great relief that the little Angora kid lost lo- kid's lost life would not now be in vain. Nova the lamb is now a six-year-old great-great-grandmother who believes he is as much human as sheep. Rags's colostrum gave her the essential kickstart to life that allowed us to bottle feed her and she is now a popular attraction for Warwick's farm's visitors. Featuring prominently in the animal encounter events we stage for young people, Nova is not only of educational interest, she also allows us to remember and recall that precious little bundle of dreadlocks born one freezing cold August morning. Her larger-than-life Buff Orpington rooster, Barty, who unfortunately passed away this last summer, became a Warwick's Farm star attraction over the years. Buff Orpingtons are a very large chicken, especially the roosters. They have a beautiful golden colour and are one of the gentlest breeds of large fowl. A friend of ours was looking to find a good home for the middle-aged Barty, as he was such a commanding-looking guy, who would definitely enhance Poultry Lane, we took him on, little knowing what an asset he was to become in so many ways. Never having really been handled before, this large guy was initially reluctant to be picked up, but it wasn't long before he was letting me cradle him like a baby as we sat down for a chat about life in Poultry Lane. He settled in fairly easily, 
Uh, it took a good few weeks for the pecking order among the other free-ranging roosters to bed in. Many of them wanted to prove themselves against the new big guy. Barty was basically a pacifist who could hold his own in the scrap, but would rather walk, or in many cases run away, rather than face a confrontation. We decided that he deserved his own nighttime quarters, or he wouldn't be troubled by any would-be cock-of-the-walk young roosters, and so we set him up in his apartment at the end of Poultry Lane, where he would spend his nights, before free-ranging, or in his later years, lounging behind the chookhouses during the day. Feeding time on Poultry Lane is always chaotic, with dozens of free-ranging chooks, turkeys, geese, and guinea fowl getting in the way as the, pure, as the purer breeds and their coops are fed, each fighting for their share of any dropped food. Barty and I had a system whereby he would join the waiting throng as I opened the gate, and once I had my bucket ready, I'd steadily head for his quarters while he ran ahead of me. Halfway along Poultry Lane, the throng would be keeping up with us and would start jostling each other for position. That was when Barty, with a nifty sidestep, would take a detour around the back of the chookhouses, where there was no traffic, and race me to our rendezvous. I would inevitably get there seconds before him, allowing me time to open the door, reach down to him as he arrived from the far side of the coop, and scoop him up and inside, and then fill his food bowl and freshen up his water, all to the disgust and dismay of the other free rangers at this special treatment. Barty, who decided he quite enjoyed being cradled in my arms like a big feathery golden baby, and I used to enjoy our frequent chats. If I had been working somewhere close by for a period and felt like a short break, Barty was only too happy to climb aboard for a cuddle. I used to marvel at the size of his feet, with their long talons and his thick scaly legs. You could definitely understand how chickens were descended from dinosaurs. I used to massage the soles of his feet with their fatty pads that felt and looked pretty much like plump pockets of human flesh, warm and soft to the touch. With my hand pushing against his foot, he would spread out his talons, and they would cover three quarters of my hand. One late afternoon, we were awaiting the arrival of some overseas guests, and Barty and I were sitting on a little bench seat at the entrance of the driveway, ready to welcome them to Warwick's farm. It had been a lovely warm sunny day, and we were enjoying our peaceful sojourn, as late afternoon turned into early evening, and I noticed that Barty, whose feet I had been massaging, had fallen sound asleep. It was quite a humbling experience to realise that a non-domestic animal that is lying on its back which, being an extremely vulnerable position, would go against all natural instincts of survival, trust you to the extent that they would go to sleep in that position. It was a very deep sleep, and unless I had heard it with my own ears, I would not have believed it. He was actually snoring very lightly. I spent the remaining time until the guests arrived, smiling. I was sitting there with a huge grin on my face. It became a regular thing during our times together that I would press Barty's feet against my hand so they would splay out, and it wasn't long before this ritual evolved into his sitting upright in my arms, giving high fives to anyone who wanted one. Over his time, Barty would have given close to a thousand high fives. I arranged a seat for us to sit next to his apartment, where he could entertain his fans. It was a regular feature during the warmer months for primary school children and preschool groups to surround us, a sea of smiling and sometimes slightly nervous young faces, tentatively putting their hands out for a high five, and then backing up for a second one. The looks of sheer joy at the experience on some of the faces and the huge wide-eyed wonder at what was happening still makes me smile today. I found that what was especially satisfying was watching some of the more timid children overcome their fears and witnessing their bravery being rewarded by the happiness radiating from their faces. After everyone had had their high fives, Barty would do his party trick for them, and that was by playing Dead Rooster. I would pick up Barty, 
place him on his back and slide him into my outstretched hand, balancing him and supporting his back. He would then in a very short time nod off to sleep. As he lost consciousness, his feet would relax and hang down and his head would flop to the side and also hang down, so much so that you would swear that he was a dead rooster. I'd then walk around as if I was a waiter carrying a tray of feathery rooster. Returning him to an upright position, he would slowly wake up and then I'd put him in a sitting upright position and he would wave with a little help from his huge feet and goodbye to his new friends as they went on with their lane to continue the tour. The dead rooster routine came back to haunt me in the last three weeks of Barty's life. On three separate occasions, I went in the morning to help the now arthritic Barty from his apartment, only to find him lying on his back, his legs in the air and his head hanging down on one side. Wiping away a tear, I went to remove his body when he suddenly started shaking himself awake, much to my delight. He had found this very vulnerable position so comfortable, he had rolled over onto his back, and due to his size and arthritis, could not turn back over. Three times the old fellow had me going. I am pleased to report that it wasn't a matter of finding the deceased party alone and cold in his coop one morning. In his later years, he had had a stroke, and he was having trouble get, keeping his balance, and he had started to lose a bit of weight. We therefore knew he didn't have much longer with us. One sunny Saturday morning over the Christmas break, I led him out of his coop and I sensed it was going to be his last day. We set him up in a very comfortable crate with some soft straw and food and water and brought him up to the cottage where he spent his last morning enjoying the warm sunshine in the courtyard, surrounded by people who loved him, before quietly and peacefully slipping away. We couldn't ask for a more perfect way for our dearly beloved Barty to leave us. I'm sure the angels are getting a buzz out of their newly arrived high-fiving friend. Another friend is Sassy. She's a buff-coloured Chinese silky chicken, although we are sure that she doesn't really think she's a chicken. Sassy was hatched out of an incubator, and after the requisite time under the heat lamps, keeping her toasty warm, as she grew into a strong fluffy chicken, we attempted to introduce her to another Chinese silky hen to bring her up. Chinese silkies are a wonderful bantam, a small size breed of chicken, that are relatively rare and are famous for their very silky and fluffy appearance. They have black skin and an extra toe to other breeds, and a bright blue earlobe. They are also famous for being one of the broodiest breeds of chicken, and are happy to hatch out and bring up any other breed of chicken, and more, as in Sassy's case. However, when we tried to introduce Sassy to her stepmother, she took great exception, and insisted we take her out of this strange feathery place and bring her back home. She wanted a cup of coffee to steady her nerves. Well, maybe not a coffee, but she certainly didn't want to have anything to do with the big feathery thing. It wasn't long before she was living in her own purpose-built apartment near the end of the island rabbits. Meanwhile, she had proved quite friendly, and before long, I had her sitting up like a human in my hand and riding along on my shoulder like a pirate's parrot. It was not long after that Sassy became a stop on the tour, some light, light relief after learning all about the Enderbees and their story of evolution. There must be countless photographs of Sassy all around the world sitting on delighted tourists' heads and posing for the camera. Sometimes, particularly with tours of youngsters, Sassy will sit on my shoulder as I meet and greet them and come along on the tour with us. Inevitably, I will need to take her off my shoulder so I can attend to some other animal encounter, and she'll quite quite happily stay where I place her for as long as it takes, usually on top of something, where she's nice and safe. I have to confess, though, that on a few occasions, many hours after our visitors have left us, or our guests have returned to the barn, I've noticed that Sassy is not about and hastily returned to where I left her, where she is still patiently waiting for my return. I've given her an extra treat on those occasions to try to salve my guilt. Generally, Sassy free ranges all day and is put to bed at night. 
She spends her time around the cottage and gardens and never ventures down to Poultry Lane where those bok bok bokking feathery things live. We had become used to recognising Sassy as Sassy rather than a chicken, so we were slightly surprised one day to find an egg sitting in a bedroom one morning, followed by five more over the next week. After the sixth one was laid, Sassy decided to sit on them. Sassy, not being a chicken, had never been anywhere near a rooster, so we knew she was in a hiding to nothing sitting on her eggs. Elaine selected some fertile eggs laid by other bantam hens and we discreetly made the switch. Twenty-one days later, a very proud Sassy hatched out five fluffy balls of joy. We had found ourselves the perfect incubator. Over the years, Sassy has hatched dozens of eggs and has brought up the chicks to a healthy and happy maturity. Suffice to say, we have a few more chooks living around the cottage now. Faced with a dilemma one day, when a guinea fowl, who had been sitting on the communal nest, decided to desert her post about five days before they were due to hatch, we turned to Sassy for assistance. She was more than happy to confine herself to her apartment for the period, and duly hatched out most of the eggs. As the weeks turned into months, Sassy continued to dote over her charges as they grew into a strong and healthy mix of lavender and pearl guinea fowl that inevitably outgrew her both literally and emotionally. They used to follow her around all day, pecking around the gardens and lawns, then all line up as she led them up the ramp to the increasingly crowded bedchamber at night. They all slowly in ones and twos joined up with the free-ranging flock of guinea fowl, who had been patrolling Warwick's farm for many years now. A couple of years ago, one of the guinea fowls hatched nine keats, that's the guinea fowl chicks, and being a hopeless mother, decided she had done a bit, after, and after a few hours left them to fend for themselves. Fortunately, we had been monitoring the nest, and it wasn't long before we became aware of the situation, and managed to catch the cute stripy little things. Guinea fowl are notoriously hard to raise, particularly in colder months. Originally from West Africa, cold Canterbury days are not conducive to optimal keat health. Having collected them all, we were at a bit of a loss to know what to do with them, until Elaine decided that Sassy might be able to save the day. Sure enough, the adopted, she adopted the little ones, as she had previously, happily and proudly brought them up to full maturity. With Sassy's high workload, we thought it was only fair to ease her burden a little, so I started training Sybil, a white Chinese silky, who showed similar potential to Sassy. When Sassy is busy sitting or looking after chickies, Sybil is happy to do the parrot thing on my shoulder and the head thing with the guests. Sybil free-ranges full-time and never really took to the idea of being put away nice and safe and secure at night in her chalet alongside the cottage. Elaine used to enjoy watching me through the kitchen window trying to grab Sybil to put her away at night. She would happily let me pick her up during the day, but in the evenings she would give me a major runaround, ducking and diving and playing peekaboo from the other side of trees or beneath hard-to-reach places. She's certainly bright though, and realised that if I gave up completely and left her to it and went inside, she would miss out on her dinner. This scenario, more times than not, ensured that she would immediately relinquish the chase and come up to me as I approached the cottage and crouched down for me to pick her up, put her to bed, but most importantly, feed her. Something I could really relate to. Well, that concludes the chapter, <coughs> today's chapter of Canterbury Tales. Um, Sassy, a little bit like um, Barty, when it was her time to go, she left in a rather nice way. Towards her later, later last few weeks, she had taken to sitting on a nice warm rock in the courtyard this next to the barn, enjoying the last of the summer sun. And uh, one day she failed to turn up at feeding time. So I was calling her and went looking for her, and she was still sitting on a rock. So uh, I went up to her to gently pick her up and, and feed her when I noticed that she had 
sitting peacefully on a nice warm rock, had slowly passed away. So it's nice, quite a nice way for the old girl to go. Anyway, that concludes today's podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time.